Oh, it's your favorite time of the week. All your work is done, and it's time to relax. So come, grab some friends, and let's get lit and join the rotation. You are now in the rotation with Suncoast Normal. We are your host, your Suncoast Normal Executive Board, and we say it's time to legalize it. It's Sunday, and now that the bake is finally wearing off, I'm able to start talking again. I think I should start getting into a rotation. What do you think? I think that's a good uh, that's a good thing to do. Well, then let's jump into the rotation. It is a gorgeous Sunday over here in Tampa, and we have an absolutely fabulous guest today. But first, let's go ahead and uh, introduce ourselves. There is, there's a missing component here, but we're going to talk about him in effigy anyway. <clears throat> first off, I was actually thinking, because now we got matching uh, polo shirts that are, by the way, hemp cloth. Very, <laughs> very breathable, very nice. Mine actually smells like Aramis. I don't know why. <clears throat> but uh, I was thinking of changing our names to... Um, Bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. What do you think? I, I don't, I don't I, know do, about you know, that. Like that it, Who's bothered? Am I bothered? Well, that's what we're going to figure out. I, I guess we will we'll kind of work on that. Anyways, my name is Gary Bewitchstein, and uh, I am the political director here for Suncoast Normal and the Master of Public Health. And to my right, your left, is our deputy director, Carlos Angel Bewildered Ermita. <laughs> and uh, he is also our, our engineer and, and, and jack of all trades. And I, I think you owe me one trade. At I least. just want to say, Gary, you bewitch me with your words. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, and missing from the Zika square above us because for some odd reason, he just found out that he was allergic to squid ink, which he I think is fine. In a minute, though. Is he, does he, is he uh, any other I'm kind of inks that he actually eats? this morning. Okay, but, but apparently he has an allergy to that, so he kind mm. of got all blued up. Anyway, and that is our Carlos, that is Chris Kino, our executive director and master of business of uh, public administration. And of course he's up there hitting them all uh, below the belt while living above the beltway. And our guest, and I'm very, very excited to, to, to introduce him is Mr. Steve Bloom, who is one, one of the icons of, of the industry, former editor of High Times Magazine and a number of, of other publications, not, not to be mentioned, but we will mention the fact that he is currently he has a fantastic website for great news and information, Celeb Stoner, without the S. Your, your resume is absolutely impressive, may I say. You, you've written for like everything about marijuana. I was thinking of putting graphics in the middle of your bio <clears throat> so that people will read it to the end because they always like looking at pictures first, you know? And you had that fantastic picture of you holding uh, L.V. Musica's uh, arm, uh, and you were sitting there with uh, with Jack Hare and Woody Harrelson, and I just love that shot. I just, that, that, that's, that's, that's a fanboy shot right there. That was from the High Times 25th anniversary party. And L.V. looked like she was having a good time. Not that she doesn't always, but she but she was definitely having a good time there. We kind of miss her because she she moved from Florida. I guess she's in Oregon now. She's been there for years now. Much better weed. <laughs> well, she's been existing on, on on the government weed, which she told me she was she was breaking away from, because of yeah, oh, just the fact that powder freeze dried and moldy. 
She doesn't use it anymore. She 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 stopped. She pretty much is out of the program. You know, there's only one person left. I think Irvin Rosenfeld. Yep. Yeah. I don't even yeah. know if Irvin's getting his. Florida. I don't even know if Irvin's getting his getting his weed anymore from the government. You know, who wants that shit? Yeah, I tried it once. I was incredibly uh, under <laughs> under impressed. I remember one time, you know, sitting at an activist gathering. LB was there. LB took out her prescription bottle, but uh, passed some joints around. Nobody would touch it. <laughs> she was being and, nice. And, Everybody's like, everybody. I don't think so. And, and friend of the show and uh, researcher uh, extraordinaire Sue Sicily has always told us that the product that she got from University of Mississippi was sub research grade. That's and she said, sure. and that's putting it very, very nicely. Right. I mean, how could how could she do a research project on PTSD with with, uh, with veterans using it uh, as a smokable when the stuff is not smokable? <laughs> Essentially, I, again, she said the product was it was ground, freeze dried, and moldy, and it, right. it, it contained pieces of stems and seeds. And I did better at that, you know, separating the stuff with my double albums back in the eighties. Well, you know, LB, you know, complained that the few years back she was getting such low THC cannabis that it damaged her glaucoma even worse, and she had to have more surgeries. So she blamed the government on having additional problems that she already had because they were providing such bad wheat. Well, my wife uh, has now lost her eyesight, but uh, she had a severe chronic glaucoma that occurred after a retinal detachment, and she found that that CBG actually was the uh, the component. That actually reduced the interocular pressure properly, and so if you have a, a a product with high CBG, she's she's good for it. She doesn't have to get the euphoric euphoric out of it. She just wants to get out of her pain. Do they uh, do they allow for glaucoma in Florida uh, the, as a condition? Yeah, it is. Okay. New yeah, York. Uh, they, New York. They we are woefully short of qualifying conditions, though. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. It's like kind of the original condition that people were using cannabis for, you know, glaucoma and cancer. And uh, it's amazing to me that any state would not allow people to use cannabis for glaucoma legally. It's backwards. I mean, people don't allow that. I I was the uh, I was the kid, one of the kids who used it basically as a recreational thing. You know, it, it, as close to advocacy as I got was when I would go to the hemp fest just to see if John Sinclair would show up. And unfortunately, or, or, were you in, in, in Arbor, or where are you talking about? In Ann Arbor, yeah, because I was going to Michigan State University at the time. Okay. I mean, hash bash. Yeah, the hash bash. Unfortunately, in 1979, I got paraquatted uh, from something that was is in a rotation over there at the hash bash. But that was that time. What, what, happened to you? what do you mean? You, what happened? Was it was paraquatted? Go ahead. Whatever. It's a it's an aerial spray that they were using in Mexico on cannabis. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, and they actually sprayed it so that they if they they figured if they got the word out that people would stop using cannabis because they'd be afraid it would have paraquat in it. But we had no idea what ha- what had it in it, what didn't have it in it. Somebody said it made it look more yellow, but then again, a lot of us were smoking tie stick anyway. So we didn't, we didn't know what was what, but there was actually an advertisement in the, look, in the college newspaper saying, do you think your weed has paraquat in it? Send us a sample of your stash with a self-stamped, self-addressed envelope, and we will send you back the results to let you know. I don't think anybody <laughs> fell for that. You know, that's part of the reason why, you know, Normal had a falling out with the White House over the paraquat issue. You know, Keith was, Keith Strop was so upset with the White House that um, he pretty much didn't really care about what ultimately happened, the scandal that kind of tore things apart, you know, the cocaine scandal. I think Keith was, his attitude was like, I'm so mad at the government now, I don't really care what they have to say. I'm going to out, you know, their drugs are. 
Keith is a great guy, but he always seems like he's always angry. <laughs> but he's got great hair. So uh, he 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 sparks the white hair better than anybody else I know. Can't Steve. say anything bad about Keith Strop on this uh, <laughs> rotation. Come on, it's the normal show. Oh he, yeah, he, he takes uh, it he, uh, to make him smile. Would is is just a joy. Yeah. Okay. So Steve, I just want to switch gears for a moment here. I want to I want to talk really uh, at the heart of everything that we do at Normal, and which is activism work. Yeah. And I I really want to thank you because the way I look at activism is really just the spreading of true information. Um, and you play a big part of that. You you've written about cannabis longer than than most folks you know have done most things. And, um, you know, I first off want to thank you for, for putting good info out there about marijuana, right? And second, I want to I take some time to, to kind of uh, 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 think about, like, yellow journalism and, and, and uh, some, like, atrocious things that have, have come out. What is, what is the most audacious thing you've ever heard about cannabis? Well, first of all, I prefer green journalism, but, um, you know, green, jur green I like journalism, that. I like it. Can I use that? There's so many myths and lies about cannabis. So where do you begin? You know? Yeah. You know, what, what is the, the craziest thing you've ever heard? Nothing, nothing coming up up there with the, the, <laughs> they're saying that cannabis now makes mass shooters. What is it? You know, men will grow breasts, I think was that. <laughs> Man, well, it's probably, you know, I mean, there's just so, you know, the, the, the problem is that you know, it, conti it, it continues to today. You know, there's a sort of another round of reefer madness now that legalization yeah. is happening and all the, the people who are opposed to it, you know, want to scare people. Okay, well, now that cannabis is legal in so many places, this is all the bad things that are going to happen to you. You know, you're going to have heart attacks, you're going to have this, you're going to have that. And I mean, there's just so much science. You know, Paul Armantano is constantly writing about all these things, but he tries to focus on the positive. There's so many negative scientific reports that have come out in the last few years. I'm galled by that because that's the stuff that really influences people. I really am appalled when I see politicians spreading uh, bad information. I feel like in today's day and age, I, if you don't, like if you're not educated you then really that's on you you have information so readily available at your fingertips i mean my phone right now can you know i can i can google things about cannabis yeah, and find yeah, out what it's yeah. like it often does your fingertips too you know so you have to be careful what, what you're uh what you're reading yeah i mean that's very true um but i mean i really do like i mean it's hard uh for a politician now to 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 look at you know, stories of medical marijuana with kids and with how it affects veterans and things like that. And really say like, this is not useful. I really uh, find, find politicians that are, are pushing back on legalization to be completely ignorant at this point, not just bad and poorly informed, right? Um, now, I have a friend of mine who had once said to me that, that, that the fake news was actually a Mexican import in, in regards to cannabis is concerned because they actually started doing it in Mexico first and then we took with the reins and brought it over here. But we've had a lot of fake news no, even since no, the beginning Putin, of our country. Putin, Putin is the purveyor of fake news. That's where Trump got it all. <laughs> Just lie about everything. Never, ever tell the truth, ever. But our founding fathers, when they first started doing elections, already started doing fake news and putting out reports, you know, like Jefferson was a uh, an alcoholic. Well, he was. Uh, no, he was he wasn't. But I think he was an atheist. So that, that's bad enough. <laughs> but, th but those kind of things have begin since the beginning of politics, unfortunately. Uh -huh. and I think political fake news is some of the is some of the most hurtful out there. 
because it's because it, it influences people. How can we uh, differentiate uh, between fake news and good news? Well, I don't like the term fake news. That's a Trump term, but I um, I, I refuse to use it. Uh, to okay. me, there's there's no such thing. Um, but um, you know, it's sources. You know, uh, somebody yeah. posted an article yesterday from Newsweek. I don't think Newsweek is a reliable source these days. They're a conservative organization. Don't trust anything that Newsweek posts. You know, everybody looks at you know Fox and uh, questions everything Fox does. That's obvious. You have to look a little mm-hmm. deeper than Fox News is where the negative stories are coming from. So just you just be careful on your sources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my grandfather used to always say, "Only read the forward." Because that's where all the good news comes from. But he also, I saw him looking at Life Magazine quite a few times. But it, yeah, you absolutely. Check your sources. I mean, even a Wikipedia article. Go to the sources and see what see where they're actually getting their information from. Wikipedia is pretty reliable. Yeah, I think so too. What What do you think is the most reliable source for cannabis, other than uh, you know the obvious slub stone? Would you mind putting that at the bottom <laughs> of the? Uh, there you go. You know, there's a lot, there are a lot of great cannabis sites out there. You know, Marijuana Moment, Leafy, uh, uh-huh. Mary Jane, uh, Green Market Report, all my favorites, you know, that I go to all the time. Uh, you know, I got out there a little early and I beat a lot of them, but they caught up to me and now they're, you know, doing great reporting. So there's a lot of great, you know, cannabis news sites out there to get tremendous information. We're sort of at a, at a great point. Uh, whether people are making a good living doing is another thing, but people are putting out a lot of great information. Yeah, I checked out celebstoner.com and I noticed that you uh, had posted on your homepage links to several different sources uh, that just put out excellent information on cannabis. So tell us how, what, what was the spark? What was the genesis that, 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 that brought you from, uh, you know, just, uh, just being your average guy to being the far above average guy in green journalism? Well, thanks for asking that. Um, Sort of a long story. My long and winding road to high times uh, started in about, well, really started when I was 15 smoking pot when I first started. And we just dug it, listened to music, and uh, when I started to go to concerts and music and concerts and smoking all kind of went together. Um, Sort of post-Woodstock kid, uh, kind of woke up around 1970 after Woodstock as I'm old enough to remember all that stuff. And uh, uh, my interest in music led me to become a music journalist. Uh, I also played some music a little bit myself, but wasn't quite good enough to really be a musician. I'm self-taught on saxophone. I played trumpet in school. Um, My dad taught me jazz. Uh, I uh, had an interest. I grew up with the Beatles. Uh, I, uh, but you know, I went through the whole classic rock period through the late 70s, late sixties into early seventies. And I steered kind of away from that into R and B funk and soul and started covering that extensively. I got the start of my career in 1978, basically covering R and B. Uh, and, uh, I kind of snuck into a publication in New York that everybody was writing about punk and I was the only one writing about R and B. So I got in the door there and started writing that way. And one thing led to another, and I met a guy named John Holmstrom. Uh, who was a cartoonist and the editor of Punk Magazine, and he he got a job at, up at High Times uh, and about 1985-86. And we were friends, and he you know, kept in touch with me and started inviting me up to the office to do a few things like proofread, write an article. And one day he gave me a call, and they said they were looking for a news editor. And did I want the job? And I was actually writing a book at the time on basketball. And I said, well, I need a few months to finish off. And he said, sure. So I started there in October 88. Um, first issue was uh, was January 89. Now, going to high times, I mean, I just came in there as an editor, somebody who knew how to you know, put together stories, edit stories. I didn't have much knowledge of what high times was doing. You know, I really I, I didn't really read high times much growing up. 
Uh, I was a student of new journalism, uh, Hunter Thompson, Jack Kerouac, or, uh, you know, that kind of writing. Uh, and I kind of, uh, you know, I, I was more of a Rolling Stone Village Voice guy and kind of missed High Times, uh, picked up a couple of issues over the years, but really didn't, hadn't read High Times. And I realized once I got there how much I missed because the first five years were really spectacular. And after that was pretty good too, but the first five years were really, really dynamic. Uh, from 74 to 78, you know, uh, High Times kind of lifted off like a rocket. And uh, and it really was kind of like Rolling Stone, High Times, Playboy, kind of representing the sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of era. Uh, high Times was the part of the drugs. And back then, High Times didn't dis distinguish so much between one drug or the other. Cannabis was number one, but cocaine was number two. And cocaine was highlighted in the magazine quite a bit. The one thing High Times wouldn't do is they wouldn't steer towards like opioids and heroin and things like that. That was a no-no. So that was pretty much how I got involved there. And so one thing, as I was news editor, I just learned a lot. I started to go to the normal conferences. I met everybody. I started to meet all the who's who of people in cannabis. I went to the hemp tour events in Ann Arbor. I went everywhere. You know, I, I went to every event. I was the guy who needed to be at all these events and meeting everybody. So that's really where I got myself going there. And, and after a couple of years of doing the news editing and kind of learning what I needed to know, then the editor at the time, Steve Hager, said, hey, uh, you want to go back and do your music stuff a little bit more. We kind of need a little more culture in the magazine. I was already doing a little music, but not too much of at high time. So I steered towards that and I created a section that was more of a, like an arts and entertainment section, became the news editor, entertainment editor, and shifted my gears towards music uh, and celebrity coverage. You ever have a chance to uh, check out um, Tommy Chong's uh, musical career just prior to uh, his evolution into comedy with Cheech? Yeah, I'm well aware of that. Um, you know, Tommy was on Motown and, uh, um, Jesus, uh, the name is just escaping me for a second, but uh, Taylor and the Vancouver's, I'm forgetting his first right. name, Bobby Taylor and the Camp Vancouver's. Does your mama know about me? Tommy wrote this song that was a hit song uh, in, I think, 68, 69. Uh, he was a guitarist in the band. He was the only uh, non-black guy in the band. Uh, Tommy is from Alberta, uh, from Calgary. I uh, moved to Vancouver. He, but he had hooked up and started playing music already with, uh, you know, uh, non-white, you know, a uh, band uh, there uh, and kind of connected. So Tommy always kind of dove in to the other side. I think he told me because, you know, he was, you know, uh, you know, he was half Chinese and he was always looked as a little weird kid growing up in Canada. Like, you know, his background was a little strange for everybody there. So I think he he steered him a little bit more towards the black crowd and hanging out with them. And uh, that may have led to his cannabis use, but um, but yeah, and then he ended up in Vancouver and with Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's. He has great stories about being a, a Motown. He only had a short period on Motown because he couldn't cross back and forth between Canada and the States easily. He was having problems crossing, and so he had to leave the group because of that. But he he was on like uh, Motown bus tours with the Supremes and the Jackson Five. Uh, he helped uh, the Jackson Five get signed. Uh, Jackson Five, you know, Michael Jackson's father went to Tommy and gave him the contract and said, take a look at this contract. Is it okay? So Tommy's got a lot of great Motown history. Yeah, we, we had him on the show uh, a couple of uh, months ago, and uh, we, we, got, we were able to get one hour for him, and he gave us two. Uh, well, he loves to talk. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we, he does, <laughs> and we had a fantastic time—a bucket list for me, absolutely—to to get a chance to talk with him.
I, hope I love the guy. Good. I've had the opportunity to do a one-on-one -on -one interview with him at some conferences, um, and I have a program with him, like a 45-minute program. It's kind of scripted and, you know, show scene from Up and Smoke and, you know, play Dave, Dave's Not Here and play the Bobby yeah. Taylor song. Mm. Every time I play that Bobby Taylor song, I haven't done it with him for a few years, he kind of, he, he gets, like, tears in his eyes. Oh, oh yeah, because that, that, that was a that definite a milestone. It really brings him back to another time in his life, pre-Cheech and Chong, nobody knew who he was. You know, he, you know, one thing led to another, but, you know, that was the early part of his career. And then he, you know, was working at a, at a, you know, a nightclub in Vancouver and one Cheech had come up to Vancouver because he was evading the draft. And one thing led to another and those guys met and, you know, they kind of the spark clicked and they started performing at this burlesque kind of place where Tommy was running. And, you know, after a while, they decided to come to the States. I guess Cheech felt he could come back into the U.S. Uh, but they came in in around 70, 71, you know, then moved to L.A. And, you know, Tommy's been there ever since. Yeah, and, and we hope to have him, which we're also trying to get somebody else that you, you, you've been involved with, and that is Woody Harrelson. He's a little harder to access, but you know, Woody's got a business now in California, so he's got reason to hype his stuff. So maybe you'll be able to get him, but Woody's a little yeah. harder to get. I heard a commercial for Harrelson's own, and I'm, I'm guessing that's him. That's his along, brother. Along, oh, that's, that's his, his brother. Okay, along with yeah. uh, Woodland, is I, I guess is his new brand. The Woods. The okay, the Woods. That is like interesting to me, and I wanted to ask you about this because when when I worked hard on getting the cannabis industry to become legal here in the state of Florida, I was doing it strictly on the basis of the fact that I have my background in public health. I already knew, you know, that folks like Kathy uh, Jordan existed who had been with ALS for the last 30 years. And that itself was a miracle. I mean, this actually was a medicine and we were going forward and we we're trying to push the medical program and all that bit. So it was a, a different time and all that bit. And I forgot where I was going to go. That's what happens when I want to ramble like that. Steve, when we were talking to Tommy, he gave us a story about uh, his experience here in Florida. He actually got arrested and everything. But um, yeah. you recently came to Florida. You uh, were a part of uh, some conferences that we had here. Um, and you got to see what was going on in Florida. I just, you know, uh, have to ask, man. Um, you know, uh, you're you're an OG in the game, and um, you know you you had to have in the '80s an idea of where you wanted cannabis to end up, right? And here we are. Yeah, um, yeah, my my track back in place. But go ahead, come on. <laughs> here we are. Um, are you uh, excited about what you saw in Florida? Are you excited about things to come? Maybe. Are you upset that we haven't made that much progress out here? Like, uh, can you give us a critique of uh, what's going on in Florida? Sure. Well, Florida is a medical state, and it's a you know a successful medical state. I'd say um, the problem in Florida is dominated by you know a handful of companies, Trulieve, and uh, you know it's kind of the indicator that you know the corporate world is going to run cannabis pretty much as we know it, and uh, and there's not a lot of room for independent uh, sellers and companies, and it seems to be the case in Florida. Um, but, you know, but but it's a very strong medical market, to say the least. There's dispensaries everywhere, and it seems like everybody I know down there can go into one of those stores and pick up what they want. So the access seems to be pretty good as far as I know. I could be wrong, but, you know, I didn't hear anybody complaining that they couldn't get their hands on quality cannabis while they're down there, in, you know, in the state. Um, so, I mean, I see that as happening as far as on the, you know, the legal, the recreational side, it's a problem, uh, you know, that obviously it'd be nice to get that going. Usually in states that 
you know, I've had uh, medical for quite a while. It does lead to recreational. Uh, people see that it works. People see the revenues, the taxes. It doesn't really cause problems in communities. You know, so why not move and allow everybody access instead of just patients? So I have, it's inevitable it'll happen in Florida. I'm not really sure what's holding it up, but I know I actually know what's holding up. The court system's holding it up in Florida. I, I did. They blocked uh, a ballot initiative. I think till 2024 which is sad, but um, where a lot of other states might be moving in that direction towards recreational legalization this year with ballot initiatives, Florida won't be one of them. So that's too bad. Um, so, I mean, I see that as problematic, that Florida has to kind of wait when others are moving ahead. Uh, and it's just not about being a patient, it's about just being a user and somebody who wants to access cannabis legally uh, without having to go to your dealer or something, which is not a bad thing, but, uh, but some people don't even have a dealer. So they wanna just be able to walk into a store and have easy access, why not? Um, so, um, so I think part is, you know, a little behind the times when it comes to that, but it'll, it, it'll have to catch up. I, I have an expression that, uh, patients are, are medical users and MSOs are just users, <laughs> but cause that seems to be the problem. Now I can, I can say that one thing that true leave has done besides, you know, being the, the first out of the gate is they really did set the bar low for everybody. So that, so that as soon as the first quality product comes through, we'll really see it. No, I'm, I'm, I'm messing well, with you. Are they supportive, of normal? Guys. Are they supportive of normal? Are they are they truly supportive of normal and normal's efforts? Yes. Well, that's good. Uh, the not, person who can give out more insight on that is coming up too. Not necessarily our chapter, but uh, no. but normal Florida chapter. See, yes. we, we don't fit the corporate mold. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I think truly has the... Uh, as the franchise on mold anyway. But at the same time, you know, they do have a deal with Black Tuna, Bob Plattshorn. So, they, you know, that's kind of cool that they're working with an activist like him. So there's the pros and cons. I, I hear negatives when I'm down in Florida. You know, I hear negatives around True Leave. Um, they, they, don't, yeah. they don't participate in the events that I was at. Um, so maybe they will, or maybe they're not invited because they're too big and they don't want them to sort of dominate the floor, so to speak, with like, you know, a 2000 foot, you know, booth well, or to something. Not, not necessarily <laughs> to pick on any individual MMTC. We've done that enough already in the yes, show. Yes, we have. We have but, and that's why we don't have, um, have, have sponsors. Yeah, that's why we don't get sponsors. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's, it's just to really look at Florida as a whole. I mean, uh, it's, it's really like my critique about the cannabis here is that, yes, it is readily available, because, but because, like you said, that there's just a few players, prices are way too high, man. And uh, it's breaking my bank to be able to medicate. What, what's, really what's, 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 what's the standard, say, gram price that you would be paying in Florida in, in the legal? Yeah, uh, let me let me pull up a website and uh, look. The average eighth is to between the uh, what's fifty five, maybe. Um, let's see here. Well, that's still too expensive. You know, what you need is the decline in prices in places like Oregon and Colorado. That it's, you know, it's putting a lot of people out of business because they're not making as much money as they anticipated. But honestly, going into the cannabis industry, thinking you're going to be selling wheat before 400 an ounce, you know, you're, you're, you're not being realistic. It's going to go down. It's one of the few, you know, products where prices go down, not up, you know, and it should because it's been, you so know, it's been inflated for so long because of prohibition and because of so many hands that touch the product until it gets into your hands and everybody's adding a little markup. And next thing you know, you have your four or $500 wheat, you know, when it really should be worth what they're really selling it for now in places like Oregon, like 50 and a hundred. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to meet Captain Hooters over in, in Amsterdam. 
but uh, he's the guy who always told me that if the guy is giving you uh, his your buds and he's picking it up with his, with his fingers like that, put it back and walk to the next booth. So they should be handling it with, with, with tongs. He says, get your fingers off of my buds because that's what I'm paying for. And I don't want the drippings still stuck on your fingers so when I, pulled, I leave here. I pulled up a website and I'm not going to say what MMTC it is, but uh, I've, I've found an eighth for as much as $53. I've seen eighths for They're $80. Typically $43 though. Like that's the average I see on there, 43 bucks. That's, you know, I mean, that's less than 300 an ounce. I mean, it's, you know, getting... <laughs> getting down there better than 50 and 60. Yeah. You know, I, I guess uh, we have seen some progress here in Florida and I think that, you know, talking about progress is a good way to, to bring in our, our next guests uh, onto the show here. Yeah. We're actually going to have a segment here because we do every, every, every week uh, highlight a candidate for the upcoming election. Uh, better know a candidate or candidate spotlight, whichever you wish, which, whichever one, but let's cue that music. Absolutely. This is embarrassing. We, we, we have this yeah, great, we, new, great new intro, and as soon as we do, he drops off. Yeah, literally brought him on, and then he he, he dropped off. Well, there he is. There you go. So I, I'm not going to make a comment about the fact that, <laughs> that, that, Hi, Mike. that, that, that Republicans cut him <laughs> because he did come back. <laughs> yeah, you did that, and it disappeared for me. I was like, what's going on? Hey, Mr. Bloom, pleasure to see you. Hey, Michael, how are you? Um, so, so we we have here uh, Mr. Mike Minardi, who has been a, a giant in in Florida advocacy in in regards to cannabis for many many years, and has a remarkable uh, resemblance to Dave Bautista, only a little bit short, uh, skinnier. <laughs> <laughs> who, who's by the way a Tampa resident, so I, I we we can kid Dave. But but right now, it, uh, Mike is going to a new level in his life and going from cannabis advocacy and the best cannabis only cannabis trial lawyer in the state that includes jury trials and going into the state legislature where all the sausage is made and usually spoils well uh, yeah it's an insane and it's crazier than running the regulate florida campaign but uh excited for it and you know it's just a cool step to be able to continue to reform these laws and to you know legalize cannabis in florida uh, and I'm really excited about it and hopefully you can get up there and make some change. And tomorrow, Gary, you know, something that you and I have been working on and I know you've continued to work on legislatively, but I'm filing a brief in the first DCA regarding a department of corrections officer who was fired, uh, for his cannabis use. So finally putting that challenge to the appellate courts. I love to see it. And, you know, we think it has great traction. I mean, yeah, we've already gotten D.C. to go ahead and, and uh, remove their restrictions in regards to uh, to workplace and, and cannabis. And uh, we worked together on that bill that, that I've been pushing for the last couple of years. We got we got it filed. And once again, never even got the committee. Yeah, so we're hoping that you, you, you can get in there and get positioned and get that sucker into committee so they can at least get the conversation going. And that if, a, if, if somebody is a worker who is a person with a disability or having a disabling condition, he should be under the ADA and be allowed accommodations. And so therefore, you should really allow use it as long as it doesn't affect performance. Yeah, it's Florida Disabilities Act. And you know we're hoping that if we can't get it done through the legislature, that this case will do it for us, um, arguing that the uh, language of our amendment requires 
uh, employers to accommodate offsite use. So really excited about it. Mike, you might want to check your letting. It looks like one of those uh, anonymous interviews where we have to change your voice too. There you go, even better. Okay, so what made you decide to go ahead and uh, and take the plunge and uh, go in, go into the uh, the campaign mode? Well, you know, honestly, um, and you guys have known me forever. Uh, I, you know, when I was in law school, I wrote an article about the three ways to legalize cannabis uh, through the court system. We, we've been doing that and, and trying to do that as much as possible throughout the state and country. Um, you know, number two, through the ballot initiative, we're, we're obviously working on that and, and praying that everyone on here signs the Regulate Florida petition. It just does, you know, permits home cultivation and legalizes it for all adults to possess, use, and have 21 plus. Um, and so the, the only other way I can do it is through the legislature. So, you know, that's always been my my main goal and my major impetus to do this. So, One of the biggest questions we get asked constantly over and over again is when are we going to see full legalization and decriminalization in, in Florida? And I, I tell people, you know, it depends on the path. So the yep. question is, which path do you think will finally come to the finish line in 2020? Mm. <laughs> you know, I have no idea. Um, I, I'm hoping at a minimum because personally, I think if it's done legislatively, we will never have home cultivation in Florida. Um, you know, even if I'm up there to, to create that in our legislature would be extremely difficult task. Um, you, you know, so I, I really think that um, it has to be through through the ballot box. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we just need money and people to sign it. And I know it's a huge lift, um, but, you know, it it just got to be done. And we, the people can do it. You know, that's our power. How important do you think it is for the governor to have to be like minded to move this forward? I think it's, um, you know, extremely important. And and Governor DeSantis, you know, even though I'm I'm part of the R party, there's a few things that we do uh, not agree on. And, And the cannabis obviously is one of him. One of them, uh, you know, in one of the early articles when we relaunched Regulate, I think he was quoted as not on my watch. Yeah. So, the latest one was that he didn't want to legalize because it smelled bad. The putrid order, I think, was the, the way it was. And it's like, come on, dude. Um, are you are you supporting DeSantis for governor? I, I am. Uh, so so how can we how can we see any progress under DeSantis? Well, I, again, I, I don't think either whether or not DeSantis is there in 2022 um, that our legislature would legalize cannabis. So I, I don't think that that's, as Gary said, you know, we can't even get hearings on these types of issues. One thing, Never mind. Um, one thing I know. remember, and there, I, I believe you were actually, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you were a part of this pet press conference when, when, uh, DeSantis first became uh, was in office, um, and uh, smoking was legal in our system. I believe you you were part of that, right? Um, so DeSantis, it was DeSantis, it was John Morgan, and yourself, and, and Matt I remember, Gates. And Matt Gates. And I remember DeSantis specifically talking about the cartel. <laughs> like yep. I remember that coming out of his mouth. Um, and, and we were discussing with Steve here um, uh, 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 earlier about like really like the this how there's very few players in the industry that's really uh, the worst part of our industry here. Um, do you think DeSantis would try to open things up? I don't think he's he's 
done well, anything about that? You know, it's an interesting question um, because it depends on, you know, why he did that and why he's done a few different things. Mm-hmm. We know that, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of money going around in politics in this industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably still multiple investigations going on as to this industry. We know, you know, what has happened with certain players, not necessarily related to this industry, but we've heard the FBI tapes of things that were said. Uh, so, you know, and that was weeks after our Florida Supreme court came out and said that there wasn't a special law, <laughs> you know, which is, that's a big irony there. And I don't think people saw that, but you know, it was a couple months after our Florida Supreme court came out and denied the floor grown decision, you know, and, and said the and versus or, and even yeah. in their cultivation decision was, you know, a, a long stretch, I think as to, yeah, know, the word use came in. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I do think at that time we all believed that he was going to break up the um, the now 23 licenses we have, and hopefully there will be another 22, potentially 26 issued within the next, you know, nine months to a year. Uh, but it's still, you know, an extremely small uh, industry, and that's really why I think the big equalizer is home cultivation. You know, we had a we had another strange session this last uh, year where it it was almost entirely taken up by a culture war, essentially. And I had written, we we had had written and uh, and pushed forward seven different bills. And we actually got one piece of one bill brought into the amendment for the Department of Health. And that is to make certain that if you are a a MMTC with a license, at the end of two years, you are not fully cultivating to scale, then you, you lose your license. Because we had too many people in that closed market we have that were just sitting on their licenses, not doing anything, just waiting for adult use to happen. And and now all of a sudden, so Jungle Boys is stepping up and all the other people who had zeros next to their numbers uh, are suddenly starting to cultivate. So I'm glad we were able to move that forward and change the industry a little bit. Well, realize those were the people that bought in for $50 million dollars. That none of them at this point, you know, we've tried to reach out to all of them about getting them on on board with home cultivation and home grow. So it goes back to your your first statement, I think, um, which you said about the dispensary. So, yeah, the dispensaries. Well, I know that Truly has actually stated that they were in favor of home grow. Uh, I I know that Kim was talking about getting clones ready to sell in in the back of the shop. Hopefully, she wasn't yeah. selling any in the back of the shop at the time. You know, and that's really the thing that I wish they would see is that it's just different SKUs on their shelves that they can sell. You know, a small portion of each state, people in states actually home cultivate, you know, three to percent. And then um, even if five percent try, then they'll learn that they can't, you know, really do it that well. Um, But at least people should have the option and, and be able to cultivate their own not have to worry about arrest. And we just need to legalize. We gotta stop persecuting people for cannabis. It's ridiculous. And cops should have to go after, you know, violent criminals as opposed to, you know, cannabis users. So one habit that they were but we were about to breach uh, in the, in our conversation with Steve uh, is that we uh, we when we started this law here in the state of Florida, I guess didn't really see the the, the uh, corporate tsunami coming up behind us and the MSOs and all the other corporate (laughs) attitudes towards the plant that you never got from the guy in the corner who was selling you a 16 ounce uh, bag of brickweed, which is where where I started out. But uh, the fact now you've got uh, this corporate attitude towards constant expansion, 
constant push towards its profitability. And right now, actually, they're in a, in a stance of contraction as far as prices are concerned. They're constantly putting in sales because they realize that that, that wasn't working. Do you, do you see more changes in the industry in regards to the patience versus profit situation? Well, you know, the interesting thing I am hearing um, from uh, uh, doctors uh, throughout the state and, and nurses is that there's less renewals. People aren't renewing as much as they are. So most of this roles that we're seeing still going up is new patients and, and not as many people renewing as they expected. So I, I think, you know, they're going to have to continue to change thing. Another thing that, that I would push for that you and I had worked on for a while is the reciprocity issue. Um, but, you know, if, if there's another 24, you know, 22 at a minimum right now, right, we have the Black Farmers license, which should be issued, I would assume, by the end of August um, for my count of days. Uh, and then technically the other 22, potentially 26 licenses as we get up to 800,000 patients. You know, if, if those are actually issued, I mean, it's going to totally change the market. It may take them a couple of years to uh, get up and running. And that new law will prevent them from sitting on their license, but you know, at least it'll significantly expand the market. And if we do that with um, our petition and legalization, you know, I think that they're all they're all going to make tons of money. None, none of them have to worry about it. I have in here in this in this Beetlejuice shaped uh, weed jar the name of the guy who actually won the uh, the Pigford license. As you can see, it's empty. Uh, that is because of the fact that. Even though the, the applications actually came out in March, as that was that deadline, from what I understand, they're still at the level of just vetting the, uh, the, the 12 applicants and not actually scoring the, the applications themselves. What have you heard about what's going on over there? So I haven't, but, you know, statutorily, um, they had 30 days from getting – I heard there was 13 license applications, so I, I don't know really what's taking them that long. Uh, I know they're understaffed. Um, I, there's, they had 30 days from receipt of the application to go through phase one. Uh, then I think it was 75 days for phase two, um, which was the evaluators evaluating the application, and then 30 days for the department to tally the scores and stuff. So, um, you know, my count was that they had 135 days from. You know, the last day was March 21st, so typically you wouldn't count that day. You start on that next Monday, or 24th, I think, was the that Friday of the week. Mm. Uh, so that's why I said the end of August, um, because I think that's around the 135-day you know, mark. I mean, they're, they're definitely slow walking this, and that's why I'm not expecting to see all those licenses come flooding in anytime soon. Because that, that this whole process, for whatever reason, is being hindered and slowed down. Whatever. Why that's happening? <laughs> I don't know. When when you buy into a market for fifty five million dollars, um, I don't know if you want to see competitors around sooner rather than later. And that's that's the standard. Not even the upgraded model. I mean, for fifty five million, you you get a, a track of land and a couple of uh, a couple of clones you can grow in the middle of it. I, mean, I don't even think you get that, Gary. I think it's a piece of paper, man. It is. People have bought <laughs> Planet 13 bought the, uh, the old yeah. Harvest license for 55 million piece of paper stock only deal, I do believe. And uh, congratulations. You got yourself a, a certificate. You know, and, and don't get me wrong. I, I think there's plenty of money to go around for these people, especially as we move towards legalization. I mean, you know, these people, I think their biggest fear is probably, you know, that they wouldn't be able to come up with demand and supply an, enough cannabis for the people in the state of Florida. You know. Now, 
Jeff Brandis has always told me that uh, the folks in the house are basically working kind of like a, a, a military situation where it's very, very top-down leadership, where basically the Democrats fall in love and the uh, Republicans fall in line. And that, and the Senate, of course, is like like forty Somalian warlords all trying to figure out who's going to jive for position. So, how do you see yourself getting into the House and making changes? Uh, can you change leadership's mind? Well, just like everything, it's all about education. Um, the is a new speaker coming in, obviously, this session. Mr. Who I yeah. think will be uh, a little bit more open to at least discussing this issue and talking about it. So, you know, we get in and we start educating, Gary, and, you know, that's one of the biggest things that I think that there there is not enough of up in Tallahassee. And I love the legislators that support cannabis, but, you know, as you know, um, they are not necessarily as intertwined and as knowledgeable about it. You know, even talking to them about hemp, I don't, there's probably a small percentage of them that don't even know what, what hempcrete is. I know when I uh, was talking to people, they, they had no idea all the different uses of the plant and stuff like that. So uh, it's about education. You know, I want to clean up our waterways with hemp. I, I want to really create an industrial program here in, for hemp. I, I want to see plastics. I want to see, you know, biofuels. I support hemp for water. I really want to push that agenda. Uh, it's both an environmental agenda. It's a pro-cannabis agenda. And, you know, it's a freedom agenda, realistically. Mm-hmm. So are you a moderate or a libertarian? I know. I know. How, how how would you place yourself along the spectrum? So um, I I think I am a Republican Libertarian. Um, you know, I, I I believe in freedom among all else, and um, that we have to continue to push towards that and safety and education. That's that's it. <clears throat> and and I know your district changed a little bit because you had to jump from one district to the other. So what is your district now so people will know where they have to be to vote for you and whether they want to go ahead and build a house in your district just so they can vote for you? <laughs> now, we're, we're District 65 in Tampa. Um, so it's South Tampa, West Shore, West Chase area, hugs the 275 lane. Um, people can go to our website, Minority for Florida, volunteer and and help us out and get out and knock on doors and see people and pamphlet and put signs out in their yards and things like that. Um, at a minimum, you know, we, we need someone uh, in the Republican Party in the primary that's supporting, you know, this issue. Uh, my Both of my candidates are not uh, as supportive of this issue at all. Uh, definitely not supporting legalization, not able to work across, um, you know, party lines to work with Democrats on issues. Um, because we've been doing that for so long. I, I said it the other day at the Tiger Bay Club. I don't know if you were there yet, but I was like, <laughs> I've been stealthily working with the Democrats for years, you know, on the cannabis issues. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, I'm from a live free or die state. So, yeah, I was there stealthily be- most of the time. I just couldn't afford lunch. So I just hung back and listened to all those speeches. It was some great speeches. <clears throat> and and, and I, I definitely see you in position better than your candidates at this point, your, your, your primary opponents at this point in time. So we wish you the, the best of luck. And once again, I don't, do we have the, uh, the link to show for, uh, where, where do you go ahead and donate to him or get um, find his, his website? If he tells me, I can. Yeah, it's um, Minority for Florida, the number for Florida. And Gary, if you want, I'll send you the brief that we're filing after we file it tomorrow on the employment case. So I live, I live for playing with briefs. Absolutely. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, you're, you, uh, yeah. you, you, you know, Mike, <laughs> you, you bump into him once or twice. 
I'll see you in November, I'm assuming. Most likely. <laughs> well, Mike, thanks for joining us. I appreciate you coming on and explaining your positions. Thank you guys very much. Have a great day. Much love to y'all. Much love to you. Enjoy the fight. So, yeah. So, 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 so back to the thing. <laughs> So I thought he, it was, there's a good question on the on the sidebar here by Dave uh, David Barsh asking him if he supports the big lie. You know the thing is it's a problem. I mean Mike's a good guy, but I mean he's supporting DeSantis. It just disqualifies him. Yeah, yeah that's the problem. You know the Republic, Republicans supporting these guys, Trump, DeSantis, they have to break from them. Mm. When I first started working he, on this, which is long, long after you started back in in, in 2013. Anybody mention the word cannabis in the halls of the Capitol in Tallahassee, you would find old bald guys running in the opposite direction. I mean, Kathy Jordan, that little, little frail lady who's got so much feist in her, she may scare the heck out of them because they knew exactly what she was going to talk to them about when she came down that hallway. And you would see them bolt at high speed. We've been dealing with a 66% Republican majority yeah. since that time. I, I have to agree with you, Steve. I, I you know, like I... Um... I can't see cannabis in Florida. I think the biggest part of why we're in where we're in in Florida is because our legislator has not represented the will of the people. And I think that's largely come from the conservative side of our legislator. So I really feel that we're not going to be able to go anywhere if we have people in power that are conservative putting this into play. I definitely don't see DeSantis going anywhere with this. The Patriot order, he's calling it, he's like, yeah, you can't have it because it smells bad. I mean, come on, man. Like, that's like the, one of the worst excuses that you can have. Um, I, what happened in Florida was we got medical marijuana and then it was goddamn expensive. Nobody could open up a dispensary. Nobody could partake in it. Nobody can grow at home. Um, and we're never going to see any of those things change while we have uh, conservatives in power. Here's the problem, though, Steve, is uh, first off, DeSantis redistrict everything. Everything's kind of leaning conservative now. Um, and second, we've had a lot of people uh, move into the state that I think are um, leaning towards the conservative side. They wanted to live in DeSantis, Florida. They wanted to live in a, in a Florida that you know, doesn't force you to wear masks and, you know, things like that. <laughs> yeah, medical so, tyranny. So, it's actually impossible. So I think we need to find Republicans that support it because I think we're going to skew Republican for a very long time. I, I you know, I, I, and I might be wrong. You, you, you can call me an idiot right now if you want to, but. Um, I thought that was my job. <laughs> and I definitely don't want Republicans in power <laughs> in here. I've been opposed to, to conservatives being in power in Florida for a very long time. But I think it's inevitable now. Well, and I do know, think that Mike feels if you don't get on that side, you can't get your word in edgewise. Yeah. Well, you know, the problem will be, you know, if the House turns uh, Republican on in Congress, which is likely, um, you know, then then Nancy Mace will have her say a little bit more. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but the, the problem is, is that, you know, the bill that Nancy Mace offers is a tame, tame version of the uh, Moore Act. It's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's a scaled down version of that. It's a Republican version. It doesn't mm -hmm. include much criminal justice. And the thing that bothers me most about the state's reform act is that it allows states to opt out. So there's no way you can go from one state to another crossing America in and out of legal and illegal states. That's not legalization. <laughs> Yeah. But isn't 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 Schumer's bill also uh, 
from what I understand, no. reportedly, no. Ha- no. have state, states' rights in there. No, I can't imagine they would allow that. I mean, it's bad enough we have this patchwork now, uh, but uh, I-, I can still see that happening in regards to uh, gun reform. They got a What's bill through, not not my favorite bill. It's just too weak. It's like it's weak tea. Well, I mean, it's like leaning in the direction of, you know, states' rights. Okay, you know, the whole abortion thing, which is terrible, throwing it back to the states. I mean, we've accomplished tremendous amount, you know, without federal support for legalization by going state by state. And I still recommend that's what people do. And that's what they're going to be doing come this November with multiple states having initiatives on the ballot. That's the only way to do it other than, you know, doing locally, you know, legislatively in states, you know, because the federal government's not going to act. I definitely like you see like how California legalized and I definitely I, I, I hear a lot of criticism about, uh, you know, full legalization happening. But when medical marijuana was legalized, it really happened slowly and like slowly started from a city level. And then several different cities started saying that. they, And then all of a sudden it just seemed like, you know what, we might as well pass this out on state level. Um, like I, I, I believe 92 San Francisco legalized. Right. They, or they had. Right, Gary. Like they, they came out basically saying that right. they supported Prop, medical. Ninety six. No, that well, that's Prop two fifteen. But San Francisco yeah. did it before the state did it. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's a big difference in how states are are approaching it now. Now it's a ballot initiative. Now we got to get uh, uh, leaders in. You know, like I really see the grassroots movement of what happened in California really gone. You know, um, it's, in a weird way, though, it's the best of both worlds in California. You could um, go to a store or you can buy from your friend. You know, so, I mean, they're saying the black market is holding up, holding up the legal, you know, uh, the legal industry. But, you know, people make their own choices. They want to go still to their friendly dealer, you know, who gives them a good price. Uh, until mm-hmm. they bring the prices down, people are going to go to their friendly dealer with better prices. Mm-hmm. Gavin Newsom, is he good for the movement or bad for the movement? He's great. <laughs> It's great. I mean, I'm not exposed, what, what an awesome even question. Even if people have problems with how things got uh, done in California, it's legal. You can go to a store, and unfortunately, it's expensive. Uh, the industry has kind of played out a lot of like small, uh, independent people who can't, you know, afford to be in the industry. That's just the nature of this beast that's being being created around us. Unfortunately, we want it to be, you know. Uh, independent, crafty, and that kind of stuff. But we're, I don't think we're going to get our way. We will. There will be independent and craft, you know, companies out there, but they're not going to dominate the industry. They're going to be like you know the small beer companies that fight Budweiser. Mm-hmm. I, I have a friend who who uh, grows out in Humboldt, and he tells me that, that his trucks have to drive around various counties because they can't drive through it, and because of the, the laws that have patched the, themselves. The, 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 the opt-out laws in California, which is part of the reason why they're having, you know, they're not having as much success as they need to, you know, having enough legal, you know, businesses open to compete, you know, therefore people go to their friends. <laughs> yeah. Now, what, the overlying uh, the arc theme of this month is uh, what have you done since 71? And, and you've actually been active in, the, in this circle since 71. A lot of, no, a lot no, of our no, listeners no, were no, even... No. A- I, I don't take credit for anything going on. 71, I was just a kid. Yeah, but you were an observer. And yeah, but active as a smoker, but not active as an av- advocate. I didn't become an advocate till, you know, till I worked at High Times. Okay, but uh, what I was what asking, who out there was actually doing something after the con- the uh, the Controlled Substance Act took a place and and started the fight back then? That is normal. Kind of st- normal. Yay. 
<laughs> and then, that'd, be, that'd, be, that'd be a great that'd be a great questionnaire. Ask ask ten questions. Who this? Who did? Who did? And you answer each time. Normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and this is this is segueing because you actually did a lot to actually raise money for Normal at one point in time, and actually put together two fantastic collections of music called. Hempelation. Hempel, I was going to say who was, was going to get into that. Hempelation is a compilation of songs about cannabis that was a benefit album for Normal. Normal. It was Hempelation 1, Freedom is Normal. Hempelation 2, Free the Weed. And we did so well with the first one, we did a second one. You don't do sequels that often when it comes to those type of projects. Um, I Back in the mid-90s when I was doing all my music editing for High Times, I was meeting bands left and right, and almost all the bands generally asked, what can we do to help? And uh, so, okay, you're in the pages of High Times. That's a start. Um, you can play a benefit concert. That's cool, but that's local. You know, and I thought, well, what about a benefit album where everybody could get it, you know, all over the country? And there were a bunch of benefit albums happening around that time. I was inspired by a few others. Uh, and I went to Normal because High Times is very close to Normal. And I said, what do you guys think? And they were interested, anything to raise money for Normal, but they liked the idea in general. At the time, Dick Cowan was the uh, executive director. It was before, before Keith Strop had come back. And uh, Dick liked the idea. Uh, and so they um, had a, a staff person named Eric Steenstra, who's with Vote Hemp now, uh, help me as like the normal liaison. I was actually brought on board by Steve D'Angelo, um, yeah. who was working with Normal back then and funded Eric's, Eric working there. So Steve was behind the project as well. And Eric and I teamed up to find a record company that would back us. We found Capricorn Records, the home of Allman Brothers and other great uh, bands of the 70s, but also they had kind of revived the label in the 90s. They had 311, Cake, and Widespread, and a bunch of cool bands. And so we found a really great label to support us, like a family company uh, that Capricorn was. And High Times was kind of a little family operation, and Normal's a little operation. So like our three little family operations, you know, teamed up to put together this album. Basically, um, the first one, 1995, was pretty much like collection of songs uh, by groups that were really popular back then. We had Blues Traveler, Black Crows, Cypress Hill, Widespread. I mean, it's such a great lineup, 311, such a great lineup on that first one. It, Sublime, uh, Ziggy Marley. It was like a who's who of stoner bands out there. The These are out. like some of my favorite things. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. Bands, so we had yeah. blast. So basically it was me and the team at Capricorn and Normal piecing it together. But it was generally my idea to do it. Uh, we found, you know, a good partner. Uh, the first one came out. It was interesting. The first one came out and it got a lot of negative attention from the government. Uh, and the uh, Lee Brown, who was the, the drug czar at the time, held up the hempelation, by the way, and here was the cover, and held up the, uh, the CD at a, at a meeting of like entertainment executives in LA right after it was released, is like, this is what's wrong with your industry. You're promoting marijuana to kids. And so that really stirred up sales. We were so thankful. Uh, and we had a couple of other, <laughs> like, couple other bands, like the DEA went into a store in Boston and you know, took all the hempelations off the shelf. Uh, everybody rushed to Boston to buy some more. So we sold about 125000 or so for the first one, which is really successful uh, for Very an cool. album in general, but for a benefit album in particular. So uh, then we went off and did the second one. The second one was a little bit more of a mixed bag. We never got Willie Nelson on the first one, so we got him on the second one. Uh, and we put that one together, and that one came out in 98. The first one came out in 95. So we raised around... And upwards of two hundred thousand dollars for normal for the uh, for those two albums over those three four year period. 
and where can you still find the albums or get or get them online? They're, they're online. Yeah, they're on, yeah, they're, they're, they put out a lot of them, so they're not like super collectors' items. Um, so they, you know, you could buy them for five bucks or something on Amazon. Very cool. Yeah, that's, that's a good thing they have. And the <laughs> CD sales are slumping because everybody can download everything here and there. Yeah, unfortunately, that's why I put them all out on. A, a, we had the 25th anniversary uh, in, a few years ago. Uh, and one thing that kind of bothered me was that mo there are 37 songs from the two albums, and most of them were not available on YouTube, or the more obscure numbers weren't available. So, you know, the more popular numbers like Blues Travel Doing I Want to Take You Higher, you know, that was, you know, available, but a lot of the lesser tracks weren't, or the bands that are lesser known. So me and a friend put together uh, a YouTube site a couple of years ago and, and put them all up in one place. So now everybody yeah, can cool. It's interesting that the government got involved and actually boosted sales. I think the same kind of thing happened when, when Frank's, uh, Frank Zappa went to Congress to talk about explicit lyrics. I think his sales went straight to the roof after that, too, even all of his old albums. That, that day when, when, the, when the drug czar said that, we, High Times, I was at High Times, we got a call from NBC, and they wanted to interview me. Next thing you know, I'm like, I'm boning up on a question, you know, and how to answer. Ultimately, you know, the only thing they used from me was that, you know, it, this is for adults, it's not for kids and nothing to worry about kind of thing. You know, it was like this issue about catering to kids. I don't know, music, kids. I don't know. This was not out for kids. It was out for, you know, for young adults and, you know, people in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. You know, it wasn't necessarily an album for teenagers. If you wanted to get it, we're fine with that too, you know, but that's not what we were targeting. So, Steve, I wanted to thank you today for coming on to the show. Uh, thank you for everything that you've done. You've been, uh, you know, you, you corrected us earlier. You haven't been in the game as long as we thought. But you've been you've been still pumping out activism longer than any of us have. So thank you so much. Thank you for all, all the work that you've done. Um, why don't you take a moment before we end the show and uh, go ahead, look in the camera, and tell people how they can uh, find you and, uh, you know, how they can support you. Well, go to celebstoner.com, my website, where we're posting articles every day, something new, uh, whether it's a news story or a review of something significant that you might be interested in. Uh, keep an eye on what's going on in cannabis culture via Celeb Stoner. Uh, and we're very active on Facebook and Twitter. Um, so I recommend going to our Celeb Stoner group. It's a really great group there. And finally, I have a group on Patreon, the Celeb Stoner group on Patreon. I really highly request or recommend people joining that. I send out a couple of newsletters a week. It's really insider info from Steve Blum. And Tom Angel, yeah, are you listening? We want you on today too. Otherwise, Celeb Stoner is just going to take off and you're going to stay in the dirt. Tom, Tom, Tom's the man behind the curtain. <laughs> very he's cool. got to come out from the curtain and, and, and well, then, the show, but we're, we're, that's, that's another issue interview kyle kyle jager he's you know he's more you know accessible you know he writes all their articles well we gotta have you come back on and next time bring willie nelson that would be really cool <laughs> well, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't ask now i know <laughs> well gary how can you then get one of those cool gold pins on your lapel there oh, this one right yeah. here yeah. yeah, this one, by the way, is great. I, I often tell folks at the supermarket, if they're into it, that this is a, actually a maple leaf and I'm Canadian. But if they're, but uh, generally, I tell them, you know something? You too can be a member of Normal. And in general, Suncoast Normal is the most politically active chapter here in the state of Florida. And you can be a member for a sheer $25 going, by, going to suncoastnormal.org slash membership. And you can get this cool pen. You can get the uh, the card because you'll be a card-carrying member. And you will also get into the OnlyFans of cannabis right here 
at Suncoast Normal and get involved with the politics because we are making changes. We are putting dents in the armor of prohibition, and you can be part of that too. And thank you, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Great show. Thanks for having me. Great. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This has been The Rotation, and you have been a part of it. You can be a bigger part of it by joining Suncoast Normal. Suncoast Normal is an organization that can help you make the change that we all need. Go to the Suncoast Normal website and become a member, because that is how you become part of the change. You can find The Rotation podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes. But you can always join us in the rotation at suncoastnormal.org. At that very website, you can join the cannabis movement by becoming a member of Suncoast Normal, gain access to cannabis events, cannabis info, Normal's legal network, and even a free membership to National, all by joining Suncoast Normal. That website, again, is suncoastnorml.org. You can also find us on social media at Suncoast Normal. Uh, find us on both Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And thank you, Gary. And good night. Good night.